Ugh. <laughs> Those children. Um, intercession, the definition of intercession really is to just find a gap and get in it. Like between someone who doesn't have food and someone who does have food and bring those people together, someone who doesn't have God and someone who does, someone who doesn't have hope and someone who does. And that's what they're doing. They've gone to stand in a gap. And the reason they can do it is because your generosity has enabled them. Your money has gone to stand in the gap too. And so please continue to pray for them and please continue to invest in For the City initiatives because this moves me so deeply, this idea. If you study the Khmer Rouge regime at all in Cambodia and what went down in what was the early 70s, I think this is life going into dead places. This is really big. And so continue to pray for Brad and the team and we're not going to talk about that anymore because I can't take it. I can't take it. Um, have you ever seen those things where you write a letter to your 15-year-old self or your 12-year-old self or whatever, and you warn them and you instruct them and you tell them what their life will be like and all of that? I think if I was going to write a letter to my 15-year-old self, it would just say one thing by Google, but no, it wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> it would say, Dear Bo, don't believe everything you think. Because that has gotten me into more trouble in my life than any other thing. Your brain is powerful. It is powerful. And, and unless our thoughts become connected to truth, we are at risk of believing things that are false truly every day. Believing false, thinking it's real. For instance, every time I'm on an airplane, I am convinced that it will crash. I am convinced of it. I am not pleasant to fly beside and um, I didn't want to fly anywhere with my husband until he married me. <laughs> I just didn't want him to know how that was going to go down for the rest of his life. Because, like, I know, I know it's, I, I, the flight planes land safely. They're engineered. There's a lot of science behind it that I don't understand. But I also know planes crash. And so every time I hit the littlest bit of turbulence, I am reviewing my will in my brain. I'm wishing I would have put away more for the kids. I'm wishing I would have done things totally differently in my life. All the things. And, and the thing is, there's not just um, anecdotal evidence that planes don't crash. There's actual math. There's actual numbers behind it. You know what the number is? One in 11 million planes go down. Like if you put my name in a jar and said you've got a chance of winning a million dollars, but there's 11 million other names in the jar, I wouldn't waste any time planning what I'm going to do with the million bucks. I would know for sure I'm not going to win that money. But in an airplane, I am definitely the one in 11 million going down because there's this little tiny part of our brain that controls so much of what is truth and what is fiction. And then it shoots it right into our emotions. And then we do things with it. We make decisions. We say words. We do things that damage ourselves or other people when we believe everything we think without holding up to the light of truth. And so we've been in this series, Follow, Finding New Life in Ancient Pathways. We've looked at the pathway of listening, the pathway of beauty. And today we're looking at the pathway of truth. And I'm not kidding you, this has been the single biggest pursuit of my life over the last few years. I have been someone who has been debilitated by fear from almost my earliest memory 
debilitated. I have embarrassing story after embarrassing story to tell you of times that fear shut me down. And so I finally had to get really serious in order to even do this job. I had to get really serious about what I was letting my mind believe and what my thoughts were leading me toward. And so we could do a whole series of messages on capital T truth, universal truth. I hope that comes out in every message we speak. But this is about the truth that we believe moment by moment by moment by moment. Like right now, you've got a whole list of truth statements running through your brain. Some of them are true, some of them are not, I promise. And so how do we learn to live in truth? Because our minds have all the power to serve or sabotage us. They really can get involved in every situation and make big problems. But the good news is there's help for us. And Paul discusses this in a really actually very advanced and prophetic way in 2 Corinthians and we're going to jump to this scripture that I think we read a lot, but, but when you dig into it, you start to understand what Paul is saying to a, a, a culture in every single era of history that will be inclined to get carried away by their own thoughts. And he says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul introduces this topic with military language. He says, he talks about a war that is happening and even though we're made of flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. And when he says our weapons aren't carnal, he's saying our weapons aren't with, they're not made of humanity. They're made from another realm. They're bigger than us. They transcend humanity, these weapons that are available to you. And so this is cool news right off the top. You're in a big war. Everyone's in a war. He doesn't yet tell us what it's with or who it's with, but he says, hey, just know we're in a war and also know you have weapons. So then he goes on to say, the weapons were designed to pull down strongholds. Now, this is a really interesting word. It's also a military, uh, military term. It means a fortified, uh, a fortified military stronghold, a strong walled fortress. This is the only time this word is found in the Bible. So Paul borrows this word right out of culture. And scholars believe that he has taken this from a little issue at the turn of the, the timeline between BC and AD, Cilician pirates were a big problem. I'm so thankful that that's not our big problem today, although we could replace it with all kinds of other things, inflation, we could place, replace Cilician pirates with anything. But they would come onto the shore and they would build little hideouts and then they would kill kidnap people for ransom. And so when Paul says, you're facing strongholds, he's, it would make all kinds of sense to people. It would make emotional sense to them. They would say, oh, I don't want to run into a stronghold. A stronghold is inhabited by an enemy who is hiding there to stay safe so he can sabotage my life. That's what this stronghold is. And, and we, I think our closest like, idea of it today would be like a foxhole, a place where a soldier hides 
to hides to stay safe. And so he borrows this word from culture. He shows us that this is a real enemy. And then he says, he tells us a little bit about what this stronghold is made of. Because he's not talking about a literal pirate cave. He's talking about a metaphorical one. And so then he says, this stronghold that your weapons are mighty to pull down is made of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. These are the problems. These are the strongholds. And so... um, this is why, where he shows us, oh, this is in our mind. The battle here is in our mind. He's not talking about a war with the Middle East. When he says, you have to take every thought captive in order to win this war, he's not talking about the public education system. He's not talking about the government. He's not talking about inflation. He's not talking about anything outside of us. He is saying the war that you're facing for which you have supernatural weapons is inside your mind. That's where the battle rages. And the good news is that's the only battle you really have control over anyway. You, you can't really fight the battle in the Middle East. You can't really fight the battles outside and the cultural issues. This is the battle for your thoughts the battle for truth. More and more, I'm finding that my thoughts have the power to create truth out of fiction or um, certainty out of conjecture. Our thoughts are such a, like a, a riderless horse. They gallop through our minds and they take our emotions along with them. And neuroscience actually backs this up, that our thoughts have the power to kill or, or to build. And we now know what Paul couldn't have known then. Our brains are made up of 100 billion neurons. And the 100 billion neurons are capable of creating 100 trillion pathways from each other. These pathways are called neural pathways and they're really powerful. They're powerful little shortcuts that are embedded in our brain. For instance, probably you didn't have to get up this morning before you came to church and watch a YouTube video on how to drive a car. How do I do that again? How did when I turn the ignition goes this way? Gas, brake, which one is what? You don't, it's, it's in your mind. But we have a new driver at home and I can tell you it's not intrinsic. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't born in your brain. 10 kids now, it wasn't born in your brain how to drive a car. Have you ever watched the, um, the videos of a baby learning how to walk? And it's so fun. And they're just like, oh my gosh. And they're, they're, their face always looks like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. And their parents are screaming and excited and yelling and yay, you did it. And you took one step and then they took three steps and then they took 14 steps and then no one cheers for them anymore. Because then their brain makes a shortcut called a neural pathway and they just know how to walk. That's pretty much the last time anyone cheers in your life. Um, And so these shortcuts are really good for us. They're really powerful for us until they aren't. Because we create shortcuts out of all kinds of things. We create shortcuts around bad news. We create shortcuts around things we've seen and we think that must be truth. Neural pathways explain why oftentimes people who have been abused in their homes go on to marry abusive people because there's an embedded groove in their mind that tells them that looks normal. That looks like life. So neural pathways can be for us or they can be really, really against us. So Paul said in that scripture, um, casting down strongholds, 
casting down arguments. And the word for argument in the Greek is the word logismos. And it's, it's this word that means calculated arguments, thoughts, bottom line reasoning that reflects someone's values. A logismos is formed inside of us through um, layers of time and experience and calculated reasoning that tells me what I believe to be true about any given situation. The only reason in America there are Republicans and Democrats is because we've used this. We've used a logistics, we've used our calculated reasoning to determine what I think has value in my life. We use it for everything. And some of these are, are good for us and some of them are really, really bad because Paul calls this a stronghold. A stronghold where something bad for you can hide. A stronghold where something bad for you can call some of the shots. When Paul is describing here is a neural pathway. We develop a way of thinking over time that digs a groove in our mind and it is really hard to get out of that groove. How do we differentiate between neural pathways that serve us and the ones that don't? This is where I part company a little bit with science. I believe that the instruction for the follower of Jesus is really clear. Freedom is found in our thinking and the battle is won in our minds when we hold our thoughts up to the king of truth and ask him the question, is this true? What I am believing, is this true? Is this a thought or a mindset or a habit that is in alignment with your heart for me? The problem though is that we so rarely take the time to stop and notice our thoughts as they occur. It's hard. We're so busy thinking, thinking, thinking that you don't even realize. I remember I had an intern once who was dealing with so much discouragement in her life and she was just crabby every day. And I sat her down once and I'm like, girl, what is going on? And she goes, I don't know. I just wake up in the morning and however I feel, I decide that's how I'm gonna feel the whole day. I was like, well, shoot, that really sucks for me because <laughs> we're both having a hard day now, aren't we? Um, but we do have control over some of this. And let me just disclaim, there are issues that we need professional help with and we do not shy away from that. I am so thankful to have had a really good therapist through the hardest seasons of my life and through the good seasons of my life. I'm so thankful because what I needed a therapist to do for me is stand outside my thoughts and look in and be like, girl, that's... That's bad. That's a bad idea. That's a bad mindset. You've got a logismos that is trapping you and you've got to get over it. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to let Jesus come in with his supernatural weapons and remodel your thinking, redig a groove, find a new pathway. So the, the thing about pathways is that, and this is going to be super profound. You may want to write it down. They only go where they go. The path only goes where the path goes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I'm bad at directions, so I don't have any context with Portland right now. But in Bend, there's Highway 97, and it runs straight through our town. And so if you ask me, I really want to go to Target, I'm going to say, easy, just go north on 97. You will land at Target. And, and if, even if you, with all the best intention, it, with the best map in front of you, even if you study it, even if you believe it, even if you pray it, if you go south on 97, you will land at Walmart. I don't want that for you. And so you, 
the path only goes where the path goes. And so we have this tendency to walk the same path every day and wonder why this still isn't working. Why is my life still not working? Why am I not finding freedom in finances? Why am I not finding life-giving relationships? Why am I still scared all the time? Why am I, speaking of myself, literally pushing up furniture against the doorway of my house because I'm convinced someone is gonna break in and get me? That was my life until I brought my stronghold to Jesus and said, you gotta tear this down. I can't live like this anymore. I need truth. I need truth. And society can tell me all day long, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. I don't care. I'm gonna tell you God's truth is God's truth. And unless I align to it, my life is gonna go kind of wonky. And it's gonna be dangerous for other people and for me. So here's a challenging fact. The National Science Foundation in a 2005 study found that we think about 50 thousand thoughts a day. Actually, there's a pretty wide variance between people, how many thoughts we think. I like to think women think a lot more. <laughs> we tend to overthink a little bit. Um, but it doesn't really matter what the number is. What matters is this number. 85% of our thoughts are negative. And of the 85% of those thoughts, 95% of those are thoughts we thought yesterday and the day before that. And a week ago, Tuesday, maybe three years ago, it's called automatic negative thinking. And it is repetitious and it embeds a groove in our mind and it is hard to get out of it. It's really hard. Automatic negative thinking tends to take us over. And so one day I did an experiment because these numbers just blew my mind and i at the end of the day, I had a pretty hard day and I wrote down every negative thought I had had, every thought I had had, just thought about this. I thought, ooh, the weather's yucky. I thought about a worry I was having about one of my kids and thought, thought, thought. I wrote about 150 things down on the page, which isn't anywhere close to 50,000, but it was enough. And then I took out my favorite thing, highlighters. They're great. And I highlighted all the repetitive thoughts. And you know what I discovered? I wasn't thinking 50,000 negative thoughts. I was thinking four in 50,000 different ways. They were going over and over and over and over, over like a hamster on a wheel in my mind and I could not stop it because I wasn't really aware that it was running in the background like an open app, sucking up energy, taking my faith, stirring up doubt, doing all these things in my mind and my soul and my spirit. And I had this, this revelation, oh my word, I don't have to take 50,000 thoughts captive. I can take four thoughts captive. And then the train follows. You take the engine captive, the train of thoughts follow. And so this is something that I believe we have been given supernatural weapons to handle. I believe it, or I think it would be the, the apostle Paul would be a liar. So I'm going to choose to believe this also because it's worked in my life. I think thinking thoughts is almost like a balloon that floats into your awareness. And then you have this decision to make, whether or not you know it, you have this decision to make. Am I going to let that balloon float to the floor or am I going to tap it up, 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 up? So it's just what I see. This is going to stay right in the front of my consciousness all the time. Your kid's 10 minutes late getting home. Oh no, what's happened to them? Up, 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 up. Somebody looks at you funny at work. Somebody makes a funny statement. 
What are they thinking? Why do they hate me? Up, 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 up. In the front of your consciousness, we choose what we keep in front of us. Last night I went to bed and I was thinking a lot about this message and this day. And I have a practice that before I'm gonna speak the next day, I always read through my notes before I go to sleep. And then I go to sleep and then it just tends to kind of churn over in my brain as I'm sleeping. And as that was happening, I could feel this other issue when I just poke in, want to just invade. It was like a little pirate just wants to swoop in and say like, think about this, think about this, worry about this. It was a worry, worry about this. And I knew I have the choice right now. I can either up, 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 or I can let this float to the ground and say, Jesus, if you've got the government on your shoulders, you've got this too. And so this, some of it is up to us. And I am not going to lie to you and tell you this is easy. It can be hard work, but it is the most fulfilling and rewarding work I've ever done. So when we give negative thoughts so much airtime, it gives them more and more power. The balloon becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. But when we redirect our thoughts, when we choose a different path, when we redirect the, the thoughts that we have toward whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, think on these things. Then we start to see freedom. We start to see hope. We start to have good ideas and creativity come back to life. A couple of things I think we can do to build a spiritual pathway out of the neural pathway. The first thing is become an observer of your own thinking. And this is really hard because we're just not very aware. Americans especially, I think, tend to be a little bit self-obsessed but not very self-aware. And it's just, it's being mindful is a whole thing. I, I went through a season right after my husband died where I kept losing my car in the parking lot. And I really truly was starting to think there was something truly wrong with me. Because it wasn't just like, I'm not sure which direction. Oh, there it is. It was like me pushing a cart through the Costco parking lot, tears streaming, trying to find my car. Not even an idea. I don't know if I parked on the side. I didn't even have an idea. And I was really worried. I was like, what is happening? Why can't I remember anything? And so then I started, when I would park my car, I would take a deep breath. I can't overestimate the power of breathing. Take a deep breath and I would look for cues around to see where I'd parked my car and I have never lost my car since because I didn't have a memory problem. I had a mindfulness problem and I had to address the fact that I'm letting my thinking run amok without any monitors in the hallway and it needed, I needed to step in and say, no, wait, no, redirect. You need to redirect toward mindfulness, toward awareness. I wonder too, when we talk about being people, bringers of light in our city, how much light can I bring to my city when I'm primarily worried on where my car is? Like when we're primarily worried about all the things in our mind that are just going, 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 do we really have the capacity to even see someone in need around us if we haven't dealt somewhere with the thoughts going on in our own mind? So become better at seeing your own thoughts. Become an observer of your own thoughts. I was speaking one time in Bend, and while I was speaking, I looked out in the audience and I saw a friend of mine, and she was with a man who was like cuddling her in the crowd, and he was not her husband. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so sad. What about their kids? And I didn't know. And I was really frustrated that she hadn't trusted me with the information that their marriage was falling apart, and I didn't know about any of this. And then I looked a little closer and I was like, 
that, that's not her. <laughs> that's a different person. <laughs> Wasn't my friend at all. And the amazing thing about this story is I never stopped preaching the whole time. Never, in fact, I rewatched it just to see, like, what in the world? I have a whole narrative going on in my brain and I am preaching to the crowd. This is how powerful our silly minds are. We can be totally in a moment and unaware of what is happening in the background. And so, I, maybe it's just me, but I had, to get, <laughs> I had to get a handle on this in my life. Some ways to increase mindfulness this very week. Super easy ways. Maybe not easy, but doable. <laughs> Spend 30 minutes with no electronic devices. I, I've been reading studies recently all about the way electronic devices have have done a number on our attention span and our concept of what's real and what isn't and our need for approval and our ability to have face-to-face relationships and it is grim. Spend 30 minutes without electronic devices. Um, Eat dinner with no distractions. Start the day with meditation. Uh, Use cooking or commuting time to have an internal meeting about your day. I try to do this on my way home from work. How did your day go, Bo? How are you feeling about it? Because I'd like to deal with any angst or anything I have before I walk into my house where my family is. So just get mindful about your thoughts. When you have a conversation with someone, look them in the eye. That's a good way to be mindful about what's happening in a conversation. If I leave a conversation and I realize I don't remember what that person's name is I met 30 seconds ago, I'm not being mindful. So mindfulness. Second, hold your thoughts up to the light of truth. Sometimes what happens when we don't pay attention to our thoughts is annoying, like misplacing our car, but often it's actually really damaging. When a thought floats into your consciousness that creates fear or shame or loneliness, if that thought is left to run wild through your mind, it's tempting to escape to substances or quick, cheap exit routes. Um, It's really important, I think, to to understand how to get rid of toxic and shame-filled, destructive thinking. It lives inside of us as a stronghold and it's not protecting us, it's suffocating us. The, The kinds of things that keep us thinking one direction, keep us living in fear, keep us living in shame. Science says that we should observe the thoughts without judging them and let them float to the floor. I, I agree. I agree that sometimes that's enough to just say, I'm just not going to think about how hard that is right now. But I also think that we need to bring these thoughts to the light of truth. If it's happening over and over and over again, you have to pick that balloon up and hold it up to Jesus and say, tell me the truth about what I am believing right now. Tell me the truth. I want to think truth. If every time you walk into a room, you think nobody here likes me, it's time to hold that thought up to the light of truth. We were singing this morning, you were for me, not against me. If that thought bounces up against a stronghold in your mind that says, not that one time, I remember that one time when God was not for me, or I think maybe God is mad at me, or I think maybe God hates me, or he's just putting up with me. It's time to hold that thought up to the light of truth and start to tell yourself the truth about the love of God for your life. Otherwise, I'm telling you, you're going to attach your thoughts every day to the headlines, ugh, to social media, to what people say you are. But we have to attach our thoughts to the light of truth, God's truth, the love of truth. Ask him, am I believing a lie? 
I read the work of a neuroscientist who said that most people are not aware of their own thoughts in the same way that if your thoughts are a galaxy, it's like looking up into the air and in, in the nighttime and you're looking at the cosmos and the stars. And if you look up in a, in a busy city, you're gonna mostly just see smog. You're not gonna see any of anything that goes on behind that. But if you go out into the country, you're suddenly gonna see everything happening. And I think that that's true. Our thoughts are like this whole universe and we can look at them, but how much more powerful if we invite Jesus into that space and say, come into the space of my thinking and show me truth. Tear down strongholds, tear down arguments, tear down neural pathways that don't serve me, tear down the kinds of things that stand against the truth. What does he say? Take every thought captive and bring it in obedience to the truth of Christ. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word sound mind is actually the Greek word sophronismos. And it means safe, controlled, disciplined thinking. Thinking with fences around it. Thinking that keeps you safe. Thinking that serves you instead of uh, tears down your peace, steals your joy, steals your hope for the future. God has given us weapons to live with safe borders around our thoughts and the emotions they cause and the habits they build. So how do we demolish the strongholds in our mind? Thought by thought by thought by thought by thought. By practicing this and repeating this, this process has helped free me from decades of debilitating fear. Decades of badly dug neural pathways. I was about a month after we got married, my second husband and I, um, we, I was in Bend and he was here in Beaverton. I used to go back and forth for work and I texted him one morning and um, he didn't text me right back. And that's not uh, like him. He's a, he's a texter. <laughs> and, <coughs> excuse me. And so I waited for a little bit and I waited for a little bit. And about 10 minutes in, I felt the first thought land like a balloon. Your husband is dead. It was just, it was just a thought. And I just, I felt it. I knew it happened. And there was a time in my life where that thought would have become the consuming thought. I would have bounced it up, 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 up until that balloon got bigger and bigger and bigger. My heart rate would go up. My blood pressure would go up. I would start to feel the real feelings of someone whose husband was dead. And so here's the thing. Spoiler, my husband's not dead. But I didn't know that then. And you can tell me all day long, well, you know, it's, of course he wasn't dead. But I can't tell you how many women's conferences I've spoken at where someone tells me about losing two husbands or three. It happens. It's, it's, it's not not truth. It's just not known. And so what I did instead of bouncing that thought up, 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 is I sat down and I said, okay, Jesus, here's my thought. I fear that my husband has died. And what I need right now is a prevailing truth. I need a truth that's bigger than my fear. 
I need something to route my thoughts toward right now that will keep me safe in this moment because what was happening was my brain was running ahead to keep me safe because I've been down this road before where husbands die. And so the thing that dropped in my spirit right away, immediately was this statement, you are safe in the love of God no matter what. You are safe in the love of God no matter what. It's not about, is your husband dead or alive right now? It's about the fact that you are safe in the love of God, no matter what. Because honestly, all truth is found within the love of God. That's where it's found. The unchanging truth of God as revealed to us through his love for us is the most valuable thing we can seek and live for. And when we find truth, we can anchor every thought to it. We can reroute every mental shortcut toward it. You're having trouble at work? You're safe in the love of God no matter what. You read a yucky headline? You're safe in the love of God no matter what. Financial pressure? I'm safe in the love of God. So what will be my most, what is, what is my next most true and beautiful step? family turmoil. I'm unconditionally loved by the God who knows my family better than anyone. What is my next best move? Anchoring your thoughts to the love of God positions you to respond with wisdom, strength, and power. I want to pray this morning. Do you need more power to deal with the thoughts that are causing damage to your soul? Do you need God to help you find a safe rerouting of some neural pathways that have been damaging you for a long time? Jesus, you see the things that are hiding in our heart. You see the pirates and the places that they hide. You see the way that it steals our productivity and our effectiveness and our joy and our satisfaction. You see all these things and yet you love us so deeply. And so God, today we bring to you every thought every word, everything that needs to be taken captive. And we ask God, would you just give us one small step, one small step toward a newly free life that is built and anchored to your unchanging truth. Would you just listen for a minute for one small voice telling you one small step you could take? Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you do. Thank you for being the God of all grace and all truth. We fasten our lives, our decisions, our emotions, our thoughts to you today. We fasten to you and we say, take us wherever you want us to go. We love and worship you in your name we pray, amen. Hey, would you stand with me for a minute? We're going to do the benediction. And if you'd like to receive this this morning, would you put your hands out in front of you? May you be men and women who know truth in the deepest parts of your heart and the busiest parts of your mind. May you access God's love, power, and safe thinking that will set you free to live a wildly courageous life. Amen. We love you so much. Thank you for being here this morning. We'll see you next week.